Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined uh, via online video by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we are back with another Italian film here, uh, back-to-back Italian films. We've got um, Pier Paolo Pasolini's 1962 film Mama Roma. That's right. A uh, another Italian uh, neorealism film, which we've done in the past. Mm. Uh, that of Umberto D. I remember doing that, and that was quite a good film. And also Fellini kind of dabbles as well. A little bit, yeah. Fellini, Fellini dabbles a little bit uh, in. Uh, I mean, we've seen Knights of Cabiria, which is actually a similar plot as well. Which was the a, a, a prostitute yearning for. Uh, for a better life, which is the same as Mama Roma as well. So here we go. Do you have a, a synopsis? A, a synopsis on? I, I do indeed. Uh, here we go. Back of the Criterion box. Anna Man. I knew I'd fuck up her name immediately. Anna Manini is Mama Roma, a middle-aged prostitute who attempts to extricate herself from her sordid past for the sake of her son. Filmed in the great tradition of Italian neorealism, Mama Roma offers an unflinching look at the struggle for survival in post-war Italy and highlights director Pier Paolo Pasolini's lifelong fascination with the marginalised and disposed. Neorealism to a T. So the working class yeah. and poor people. Pretty much, yeah. Post-war Italy and things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, had you seen any of his films previously? Uh, Salo. And that's, oh, that's, that's right. really it. That's right. Yeah. Salo was the only other one. Well, this is his second film, and I think I think it shows that, it, like, I had it, it kind of had an almost amateurish quality to it. Do you do you agree or yeah. disagree with that? No, totally. It is. Um, I was reading an article about it where someone perfectly summed it up as it's uh, Pasolini. It, it's an example of a filmmaker discovering his style. Like, uh, apparently, his first film, Akatone, was. A surprise hit. Um, previously to becoming a filmmaker, he was a poet and an author, and then uh, dabbled into uh, filmmaking. And his first film ended up being massive success. So that kind of afforded him the luxury to go into uh, making Mama Roma with some confidence and being able to cast, um, you know, the incredible Anna Manini. Uh, I always fuck it up, Anna Manini. Yeah, and she is she the only professional actress. Or actor in the whole film because I know that he does. Pasolini likes to use non-professionals. Yeah, I I, I believe so. I know for sure um, the uh, young man playing Ettore, her son, is he was literally a waiter who was serving Pasolini at a restaurant, and he was like, "I like this guy," <laughs> and his name was actually Ettore. So yeah, so they just took the name of him and put it in the film just to make him feel more at ease, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of neo-realism films, they do employ these... I mean, they're not even... They're usually kind of... They're not even non-professionals. They're usually um, actors that are just starting out. They're unknowns, I suppose. Yeah, Um, so they're kind of fresh faces, at least. It's, you know, adding that extra level of unrecognizability, I guess. Like, you know, you're not looking at, you know, Brad Pitt being in you know yeah give it a bit more of a r- realistic feel but i think pasolini goes one step further in that he's 
he doesn't even get unknowns. He gets people that are going to be in his film and then they'll never be in a film again. So it's this extra level of, uh, what would you call it? Like, un- unprofessional? Uh, I, I guess to some degree or just authenticity maybe is a good mm-hmm. term for it. Like getting these people that are essentially these characters. They're not, you know, professional actors who are, you know, training and learning to become these people. He actually just finds these type of people and throws them in his films to be like, no, this is what I want. I want you to bring an authenticity. I want you to be earnest with what you bring onto the screen. I think the actor, Torre, at a certain point in the film, even looks at the camera. Um, and it's mm. in the film. I, obviously, Pasolini looks at that and says, oh, I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, because there are a couple of weird little stylish moments like that, and then there's the occasional kind of uh, ending a scene with the um, kind of slow motion, kind of speed ramping almost to some degree. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of had that effect of like what happens when uh, with a camera when you're filming using actual film and like it's it's about to run out and it kind of gets that weird fucking ramped up speed or slowed down at the end. Yeah, yeah. There's some of it's mm. a little bit off putting that way. The like the editing, the cutting. Just some of the shots, certainly in the start, I was like, oh, this is... It, it just didn't seem uh, what you would consider to be a, a a technically flawless film. Even the film stock kind of jumped from being looking okay to really not that great. There's a lot of restoration. Maybe there was a restoration thing that they couldn't clean up this and that and whatever, but... Yeah, it's that thing of the a lot of the outside scenes when it's um, Ettore kind of wandering around with uh, Bruno and the other kids and things. It's like that, like really hyper grainy and like ultra white whites. It's almost that washed out kind of look in some scenes. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of the the kind of it 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 really lacks that kind of the polish i guess like i mean coming to this only having really seen salo and um not much else of pasolini's stuff it's it lacks that kind of polish you would expect seeing obviously we're jumping from his his final film he ever made to his second film so there's obviously you know some dissonance there yeah there's a massive difference in in budget and style and everything but so yeah, let's get let's get into the film uh, in earnest mm mm-hmm. mhm and it starts off, we're at Carmine's wedding, and he's the ex-pimp of Mama Roma. Uh, ex-pimp and former lover. And former lover, yeah. And straight from the get-go, it, the first shot is reminiscent of uh, The Last Supper by Leonardo mm. da Vinci. So, there, I think there's a lot of Christian symbolism in this film that I picked up well, on. Well, that's... That's apparently a repeat, like a recurring theme throughout a lot of Pasolini's films is kind of, uh, he, he was a big fan of Christian iconography and, you know, uh, that's, I mean, obviously comes into play way, in a big way towards the end of this film. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, but, um, so I, I guess he's yeah, so ta- taking him as for a rather religious person. Mm. I think at least, or at least fascinated with the, the structure and things of religion. Again, coming into this, not really <laughs> that familiar with his work, uh, him, so... Yeah. But it is a film, like, right from the get-go, it, 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 he, he quickly establishes who our character is, Mama Roma, the, the situation we're going to be exploring here, where it is a someone who's, you know, spent her life as a prostitute and now uh, yearning for a better life, and then it's what happens when that 
opportunity of a better life for herself and her son, it's essentially for her son, is uh, potentially taken away. And mm-hmm. uh, she's kind of forced back, you know, forced into a corner. What then happens? Well, I think she's... Tr- I mean, every character in the whole film basically is kind of corrupted, whether they're, you know, they're, they're a thief or they're morally bankrupt or whatever. Mm. They don't, you know, a lot of people don't work. They don't care to work. Um, yeah. It seems like it seems like she's trying to break away from that. I mean, because she was a, a prostitute, which I is not really a problem. But mm. I, I suppose, I suppose she she's wanting to get out of that line of work. Yeah, she's yeah. wanting to get out of that line of work for the sake of uh, being able to save face for her son. Like you know, the the embarrassment that he would feel. Uh, you know, being the son of a prostitute and things. And then also, I think it's a bit of... It, it deals with the ideal of a better life. Like, you know, there's... Uh, when she find You know, there's the scene at the beginning when it's like, we're moving out of this small, shitty place and we're actually going to get a better place. We're going to move to Rome. It's going to be a lot better. And, you know, we're going to... You're going to go to school. You're going to find... I'm going to marry you off to this person. I've got a store where I'm going to st- sell food and we're going to make a better life for ourselves but at the same time they can never really escape what they are and what they've always been i guess and also there's really it's difficult for anybody within that society to allow them to get out everybody's putting mm. them back down um yeah which, whether it's carmine uh, the, the ex-pimp or whether it's uh the church themselves they they don't offer a, a helping hand to a Torre when mama roma asks you know, can you help us out? Get him a job. He's like, well, he's, there's not, nothing we can not give just him. That. Yeah, not even just that, but they their solution is to for him to stay in his station, essentially, to go learn a trade and not, you know, strive for anything better that could be, possibly be achieved from someone in his position. It's, no, you stay where you are. You don't achieve anything better. And that's kind of the heartbreaking scene where, you know, they have to go through this elaborate scheme of blackmail to even be able to get him a job working as a waiter. And then when Mama Roma goes to see him at his job and, you know, all the effort she's gone through to try and get a job and, like, earn something for her son and see that he's just a waiter and that's kind of all he will achieve to be is heartbreaking for her and she just starts crying and it's brutal. Yeah, the film is brutal. It's it's a fucking Mm. brutal movie. Yeah, and it ends on such a bleak, fucked up, sad... Hmm. upsetting way i guess but um you know we'll, we'll get to that eventually we'll get to that uh, but um I, I was reading a big thing in especially in like all the like what pasolini was doing in terms of um where he was taking with the neorealism stuff is instead normally in a f- italian cinema you would normally have uh people of high statute have like you know princes kings or like you know o- like owners of shops and you know performers like these great wonderful professions and what Pasolini is presenting is like no let's actually be real with what's happening and you know we've got thieves and you know lazy bums and prostitutes let's actually like there is no quote-unquote hero or like you know someone that has a defined or refined profession yeah I mean it's the underground that it's the underground of, of Italy I suppose Mm. And and maybe maybe within that society that it's all of this kind of disgraceful 
unwillingness to to work and and earn a dollar doing the dirty whatever whatever way you can maybe it's yeah. out there somewhere where people aren't doing that but certainly in the film you'd never see that but that's where the irony i think comes from the film because in the opening we have mama telling etere that like the the big thing of like i'm taking you away from this small town we're going to move to rome i don't want you living here with these hicks like she keeps using the term hicks like we're we're you know if you stay here god knows what you'll end up being like we got to move to rome move to the big city where we can make a better life for ourselves and they go through all of that process and the people that they end up associating with and the life that they find themselves in is exactly the same as if they were still in the country it's yeah. they've just it's a different type of hick i guess just you don't call them hicks cuz they live in a city <laughs> So it's systemic. So is Pasolini yeah. trying to say it doesn't matter where you look, but Italy is kind of rotten to the core, and it's and it's 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 expansive. Either, that's what I was trying to break down. Like that's what I've been struggling with ever since I've watched this film. Like trying to break down. Like is this is he making a grander statement about um, where Italy found itself at this time? Like is it a you know that like you said systemic thing of. You can strive for betterment, but there is no matter where you go, you will always be stuck where you are. Like it's it, like, and is that a reflection on you know the economic and socio socio political state of Italy at that time? Um, if I was a smarter man, I might know. <laughs> no, I, I think that it is because doing my research into the film, um, I came across a lot of people talking about the fact that this is a a comparison or a continuation um, of a film by Roberto Rossellini, Rome yes. Open City, yep. which was a film yep. in, made in 1945. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about, it's all about, you know, wartime Italy being corrupted by the influence of, of the Nazis and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's the Nazis coming in and how that affects essentially a, you know, the invading forces affecting uh, a city and uh, in particular, I think a small family or a group of characters uh, on the run and trying to hide out from that. And um, yeah. most famously the star, one of the stars of that film is Anna Manani. Oh, fucking God damn it. I keep looking at it. I keep looking at it spelled out. Anna Manani. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, she, one of the main like a stars. Side ca- she's a side character, I think, in it, that was a pregnant lady that got killed or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and about halfway through the film, that it's the, it's a really dramatic, intense scene. And then, um, so this film is... Uh, randomly, uh, Pasolini has dedicated this film to Rossellini, who made uh, Rome Open City. And this film is kind of viewed as a counterpiece or a continuation to some degree of... Well, we had this pure, innocent character who tried to fight against the fascism that was happening at that time, and she and she was pregnant as well, and she has was executed. So now, years later, let's cast that same actress in a role where she, like playing a mother figure, like kind of taking it to that reverse area, I guess. Instead of being a character all about hope, it's one where it's dealing with kind of loss and the destruction of a possible dream like that. Sure. But then also, if Rome Open City is kind of a patriotic film saying uh, corruption comes from, from outside and comes within, and then it's your responsibility to fight back, this film is saying, no, that's not correct. What actually is happening is the corruption is from within, and it's, it's seeping out into society and everyone's a part of it. 
Yeah, I think so. it, it's almost like a... Not necessarily... I think it is saying, like, back then with Rome Open City, it it was an outside force. But now, where we are as a society now, it is coming from within. Yeah, like, 20 it, years it, later, it, things have changed. Yeah, exactly. We, th- we thought we've grown and we've progressed, but, like, you know, post-war and things, but we're... It's we're now the issue here, I guess. Like, you know, with Mussolini and all of that stuff. So, yeah, okay. Which is also like obviously represented with the giant, you know, the basilica at the end. You have the golden dome kind of raising out from <laughs> the slums, kind of as a symbol of this system that's kind of breaking through. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to talk about that towards the end of the podcast because it's an interesting uh, end to the film. Yeah. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll, let's just let's just concentrate on on. Let's say let's say let's go to Atore. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to Atore, who's been cast as a as a non professional, and I thought it was quite interesting. There's a lot of shots that were full body. There's, there, I mean, there were mid shots and whatnot, but there was a lot of shots that seemed to really like to focus on the full body profile of the actors. It's- it's distancing. Yeah, and especially Atore, who's... He can't... I mean, he's not an actor, but certainly he he had a strong performance in his physical acting. Oh, um, for sure, very, yeah. Very wooden and very... very. I mean, it came across very strongly that he, he was very unwilling to really give a shit about bettering himself, and he's very happy with just kind of going after girls and... Um, not just that as well, but there's a, an awkwardness as well, initially, when he first arrives in Rome, the... The way he's yeah. just kind of aimlessly wandering around, unsure of what he's doing, and I and I guarantee that's got to be part of, you know, being an unprofessional actor, not sure what you're doing, and it just translates so perfectly for the character. When we first meet him, uh, and his he has to dance with Mama Roma at her house, mm. and I mean she's such a vibrant character and actress. And, oh, oh, we'll, and we'll get to just, her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then they're, they're dancing and she's giving so much life into the, into the dance and her performance. And then it's just, she's basically carrying this block of wood that is a Torre. Um, yeah. It's very well cast. Mm. But again, that, it works not just as a, you know, the awkwardness of his character, but it, it adds into that awkwardness, awkwardness of their relationship as well. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's all I got to say about it. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a very. I think it, it's he has a lot to do in the like he it, the film ends up really becoming his story. It it shifts away from Mama Roma because and like really shifts over to uh, Ettore because everything that Mama is doing throughout the film, she is doing it for Ettore. And once that's been established, of what's where we're going with all of this, it's right. Well, let's shift our focus as a viewer over to Atore to see why she's doing this and if he is taking it on board. I guess to some degree, or if yeah, it, I mean, in, yeah, or to an even harsher extent, like is it worth it? <laughs> I guess. Well, the conclusion of his story is that I mean, it's not even his fault that uh, what happened to him happened to him he got sick uh and he was kind of just a victim of the system he uh, uh, although i've said previously that he's seems to be unwilling to really push himself um to to better his station yeah ultimately it didn't really matter because 
the the system failed him and he got sick and got locked in a prison and, and well, uh, it, there's the I think it again just flows back into the idea of it being a systemic issue in that he there was a bit of a willingness there at a certain point to change once he you know got the job and Mama had bought him the motor the motorbike and things and it looked like he all the things were falling into place to get him that better life and you know what they were actually striving for and then True. it's just when when it's the reveal from Bruno that who that Mama Roma was a prostitute. And it, he, it just breaks him for, and he's just like, I can't, well, fuck it then. Like, if, if this is all my mother's ever been, I never met my father, like, I guess then I'm not worth shit either then, and what's the fucking point? Yeah, so the dream dies. Yeah, and it, it is like that flow on effect of seeing, well, this is only how far my mother was able to get. Why do I think I would be able to, why do I think, and why, more importantly, does she think I'm able to achieve more than that? So... Fuck it. <laughs> well, yeah, and that flows into the um, those really great steady cams. Uh, there's two of them in the <sighs> in the film. Uh, Incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, they're the highlights of the film. Um, That's what like watching the film. I was like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying this, especially like at the beginning, that kind of fun, playful wedding scene. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is fine. But when it got to that steady cam shot, I was like, you have my full attention. Keep going, film. <laughs> Yeah, so there's these two shots, and and Mama Roma is running, walking through the streets, and it's almost like a purgatory, with kind of surreal image because there's there's her, there's the people that join her on her walk, and in the background it's complete darkness with these floating lights, uh, and it's the floating it's, city lights off in the distance. Yeah, I I was sitting there like my the the film school in me kicked in. I'm like, how the fuck do they light this scene? <laughs> like trying yeah, to yeah, figure me, it out. Me too. I was scratching yeah. my head, yeah. But in any case, uh, in the, the second of those two sequences, she's talking about how, you know, her father was was a, a, a bastard and he was a thief and then his, his father before him was, you know, some kind of corruption and a mama was her... Uh, I've got it... Hang on a second. I'll, I've got it written down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Ah, here we go. But it was just generation after generation of, of thieves teaching pimps, teaching bloodsuckers and beggars and whatnot. So it kind of sets it up that because of everybody's experience is based off the experience of their parents, um, everyone's just constantly set up to fail. Um, yeah. Just like a Torre will be set up to fail because you know his mum's a prostitute. Exactly. And that... And I, I'm like that has to be what Pasolini is saying. It's like this, it, it's a grand, in the grander scheme of things. It's like the system is failing us, and the idea that you know it is just you know we, we need to achieve, tr- strive for more, but the pressures put on us by society and family and you know the worlds that we live in are not letting that be possible. Well, I think it's in every hierarchy of life, whether it's a family unit or whether it's a town or whether it's a city or a nation. Mm. There's corruption in it all, so you know it's 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 out there and it's it's all all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I mean, and it's a fucking bleak way to look at things, but oh, incredibly, yeah. But, but at the same I, time, I'm, yeah, I was so hoping gotta, that this film would like end up having that like. I, I guess I was stupidly anticipating like a Fellini esque ending where it's just like a hope and some light comes into it, but nope. <laughs> 
No. Instead, we're going to have uh, a Tori <laughs> fucking strapped to a bed in a prison, like dying in a fever dream while looking like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely then, fun. And then Mama trying to throw herself out of a window. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that shot as well, that shot of him dying, and it's the bed's yeah. kind of set up. to. It's made to look like... Uh, it's uh, the lamentation over the dead Christ by uh, Martenia. Yeah, in circa fourteen eighty, mm. um, and that image is very bleak. If you want to Google that now, and or the not, interesting thing is, to you. Pa- Pasolini lingers on it and he uses it the same shot repeated multiple times to really hammer home the death of not just this young boy, but I guess the you know the ideal that you can hope and strive for more. It's really fucking sad. <laughs> Yeah, well, and then it's it's, the- it's sorry. I was just gonna say, and it's also just quickly on that note. Like it's it's wonderfully paralleled as well. Where in the scene when uh, Mama and Atore and uh, I forget her her name, the other prostitute that she helps get to scheme with her, um, the younger prostitute. They're in the church, and the younger one makes the co- like acknowledges Mama Roma, like you would go up on the cross and die for him. And then you know, unfortunately, at the end of the film, we see it's the other way round. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the shot kind of makes you feel like you're at the at his feet leaning mm. over him over the bed mourning his death um which is exactly what Mary Magdalene's doing in the in the lamentation um of the dead Christ as well so so yeah you really you really it hits you over the head yeah. quite strongly with that sense of of like the, or what what do you, what can you do except just go fuck like the situation's fucked and and you know hopeless mm. i I will say a few of the essays and things and articles about on this film that I read, like almost every single one was like, yeah, you're a little bit hitting us over the head here at the end there, Pasolini. Like we get it, but you're just, you're kind of reveling in the, (laughs) reveling in it here. I I don't mind. I don't mind that. You can. Yeah, I I thought it was gorgeous. Like, you know, it's a very bleak and sad image, but it's shot and lit beautifully. Yeah. Super striking. I don't yeah. mind when I when I saw it, I, my mind went straight to that that painting. So, mm. uh, and there's all the parallel. There's there's Mary Magdalene and the baby, uh, a, a portrait of them in Mama's uh, bedroom, as well so, as in the necklace that uh, Atari gives to Bruno. Yeah, that's right. What's that? He gives Bruno a locket or a necklace with Madonna and child. Yeah, that's what Chris just said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Tell Cole so, that yeah. she's, she's, we're on the right, we're, we're on the same track. <laughs> good job, good job, Cole, Chris says. No, no, that's okay. Um, so, yeah, Christian symbolism galore. Mm. So, I guess that brings us to uh, the final shots of the film, which I kind of want to get my head around a bit because uh, it's it's mysterious in a way. And that is the, Mama, Mama yeah. Roma's run to her to her window, ready to jump out, and she's been held back by some of the townspeople. And it's just cutting back and forth between her face and the church um, that's kind of poking up the dome, as you said, was poking up above yeah. the slums. And uh, I wonder, and, and that's how it ends. So I, I wonder what what's your read on on that image? Um, I mean, there's the bleak. The bleak interpretation is obviously she, the the kind of false idolatry that goes along with the church in that 
she went to them for help and to try and, you know, hoping that they would extend an olive branch and help her in her time of need. And instead, they did nothing, essentially. And, you know, and then the snowball, like, you know, sequence of events has led to her son's uh, inevitable death. And then, so, and in that moment, all she sees cresting out over the city is a reminder of this church and this kind of false hope that that presents. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that that kind of betrayal, I think. mm. Because, I mean, it seems to me that. Pasolini is, he's, as you said, he's obviously fascinated with uh, Christianity and, and all the iconography and whatnot. So it would seem to me that if, if corruption is systemic and it's everywhere, you would think that he would think it's time to go to the church for guidance. And then they, yeah. they failed him. They failed Ettore. They failed uh, Mama Roma. And so they're partly to blame too, so... Yeah, and so it's just that, like, and the cutting back and forth between uh, the, you know, the roof of the Basilica and Mama Roma's face is just that, like, hammering home, that reminding of how we got into this position. Or, like, for Mama Roma in particular, like, reminding her of, you know, don't trust these motherfuckers. (laughs) Um, But then it's also, there's the read of it's the a reminder that you you are stuck where you are in your society and then seeing the basilica is like a reminder of like the the upper class of what she was striving for and how it's this unattainable thing there that's cresting out over and she's not able to yeah reach it she'll the always priest, be able to see it but not obtain it it's a beacon of hope but then at the same time it's inaccessible yes yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. The, the only, ra- the only way you can come away on. from this, yeah. <laughs> the only way you can come away from this is that it's it's a bleak world out there um, for Pasolini in the nineteen sixties. Yeah. Like I mean, we've we've done a you know tried to break down the you know what the film is doing and saying and things and um, the I guess the the main one is because um, the last couple of films that we've done they're they're ones that I've like thoroughly enjoyed like really had fun watching this one i i get and acknowledge it's an extremely well-made film except i didn't necessarily have a great time watching it what, what's your take on that yeah i i think that i agree uh, i had a similar experience in that because there's unprofessional actors they they might not be there's just kind of a, a disconnect for me as a viewer and a lot of yeah. the a lot of the technical aspects, the the film filming, the the editing, was just a little bit off. But then with the shots of the Steadicam shots in the streets at night, and you know Torre's deathbed sequence, they they were so good that you know I can I can come away from the film and say it was fucking excellent. Yeah, it, it's like undeniably a a very well made film with a lot going on and a lot to say. But yeah, it's in terms of an actual viewing experience, it's I think it is because it is kind of rough around the edges and like you said, unprofessional actors and things, like it's got that that edge to it and the absolute bleakness with which it ends, it just makes it a real kind of <laughs> tough sit for like not that there's, you know, anything like Salo level tough sit. I mean like, you know. <laughs> but that's that seems to be Pasolini then, because Salo yeah. is, is the, the same. It, it looks technically better but it's also he, fucking hard to he, watch and he's tearing down you know established you know um uh, never mind 
<laughs> no, no, they're, they're cold hard truths that he's trying to, to put forward and trying to break yeah. through. So. Yeah, he, he's using his stories to try and break down and show the hypocrisy and, like, the, the issues that are, you know, raised in society and, like, organized, um, you know, religion. Like, you know, these things that we hold faith in and, uh, yeah. you know, as, as I, I think- we, we look at as infallible things and, that are just... Mm. I think it's set up to... The fall is all the more greater because Anna Magnini... Am I saying that right, Chris? Magnini? I hope her, so, yeah. Her performance is... Has so much colour and she... Despite having a, a really brutal upbringing, she has so much life and, and, and love to give um, that you do you do feel quite hopeful and go like, yeah, maybe, you know, she's got the, the energy and, and the drive to, to break away from it all. Yeah. Um, well, that, that was kind so, of, so, I mean, sorry. So, so even though the film on some level it is hard to watch her performance and her character is, it gives a, a, it gives a lot of pleasure for me to have watched it anyway. So, Oh, 100%. And this is like the perfect segue because I, I thought a great way to end the discussion would be just highlighting her incredible performance. Um, yeah. I, I was not prepared for a performance of this caliber. And then like looking in, uh, like this is, um, I think, six years after she won an Academy Award for Best Actress. Like she's, yeah, <laughs> she is a powerhouse. Her laugh, her laugh is completely infectious. Oh yeah, that 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 mm. scene where at the wedding where she just is losing her shit is phenomenal. <laughs> um, but yeah, she is like widely considered to be one of Italy's greatest actresses. Um, you know, she she worked a lot with Rossellini and ended up doing quite a few films over in the US, even uh, working with Burt Lancaster again, uh, Marlon Brando. Like, yeah, yeah. I thought I recognized her, but I couldn't work out where from. Um, mm. Uh, well, she's in uh, The Fugitive Kind with Marlon Brando, uh, another Criterion film. Um, I should also mention um, Rome Open City is also in Criterion, so we'll eventually get to that one. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, they, you need a companion piece session almost with this one. But, you, I mean, our, our format is going through the spine numbers, so we'll eventually hit one of them first, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it'll be nice to see Rome Open City when we do come up to it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she is just such a. Every time she's on screen, she is so believable and authentic. And it's it's at no time do you get a sense that she is an actor performing. You, she is Mama Roma, and that is a character. That is someone who is living and breathing, and they've just turned cameras on her. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And those monologue scenes again in those steady cam shots, they go for like close to five minutes, and she's just rotate like spewing off her life story it's phenomenal yeah they're they're, they're massive one is they're, they're they're remarkable shots yeah it, it's the film is definitely worth seeing just for her performance alone if nothing else i would say hmm. uh um, what else what else have you got to say about this film i think i've covered off on all my my points yeah we've kind of hit hit everything on my notes as well i don't really have much else on that one um i guess trivia yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so the film uh, was nominated for the Golden Lion at the 1962 Venice Film Festival, where it actually won the... It didn't win the Golden Lion, but it won the Italian Cinema Club's Award, as well as the New Cinema Award for Best Actress for Anna Magnani. Uh, That was it in terms of accolades. Um, Yeah, and the only other little thing was uh, when the film was first released... um, Critics and audiences claimed that it was uh, immoral due to swearing that happened in the film. <laughs> and so it was actually brought uh, before a uh, court case and um, it was kind of initially banned for a little while. But then that just was like, s- oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, just for swearing, okay. Yeah. And um, apparently at uh, when the, the film had its premiere at the Quattro Fontaine Cinema in Rome in 1962, Pasolini was attacked by fascists who protested against the film. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, you know, mainly because... Uh, well, mainly because, like, the film and everything that was written about it at the time and things, it, it was considered to, uh, to be visual evidence of the hardships that people um, had to struggle with living under a fascist regime in Italy. Okay, okay, yeah, of yeah. course. So, you know, <laughs> the, the pro-fascists were just like, fuck off, <laughs> and, yeah. So it's, it's, it's propaganda... Going against fascism, then. Essentially, yeah. You know, by, okay. by showing the actual hardships that, that the actual citizens have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, How dare art, art exposes the truths <laughs> of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, it's still in print from Criterion as a two-disc DVD, and it's also available on the Criterion channel. Uh, but the physical release comes with uh, three new interviews about director Pier Paolo Pasolini, featuring Bernardo Bertolucci, an assistant director on Pasolini's Acatones, his, so his first film, Tonio Deli Colli, cinematographer on 11 of Pasolini's 14 films, and Enzo Siciliano, uh, author of Pasolini, a biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre, Paso, Pierre Paolo Pasolini, a 1995 58-minute documentary by filmmaker Ivo Barnabo Micheli, uh, covering the career of the controversial artist. Uh, La Ricotta, from 1963, a 35-minute film by Pasolini, starring Orson Welles as a director who sets out to make a film about the Passion of the Christ. Holy shit. Uh, that, yeah. That sounds cool. Uh, as well as uh, the usual, uh, it comes with theatrical trailer, poster gallery, usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. So, decent version. Yeah, man. Hmm. But I guess, unless you've got anything else, that'll wrap us up for this episode looking at Mama Roma. What is next? Next is, we're going back to Sweden. We got some more Bergman. Okay. Yeah. Finally, I can, uh, I can be excited. <laughs> yeah. About Not just that. Uh, we have Smiles of a Summer Night uh, from 1955, which is considered to be one of Bergman's uh, great comedies, actually, uh, from okay. what I've read. And um, it's kind of the film that really put him on the international scene and made everyone around the world notice him. So I'm great. intrigued. Yeah, me too. Hmm. But I guess, um, otherwise, I'll probably wrap us up for this episode on Mama Roma and whatnot. But um, if you have any comments, queries, or anything like that, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. And uh, we'll have updates in the next over the next couple of episodes about uh, the Patreon that we me- uh, mentioned in our last episode. So we're still in the process of figuring all that out. So watch this space. 
Indeed. Hmm. But uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. See you next time. <laughs>